Welcome to Alive and Kicking, the 90s football podcast. The podcast that's more 90s than turning on a Mega Drive and hearing... As always, I'm Ash Rose. Thank you for listening or downloading. I'm here for another slice of your 90s podcast of pleasure. Thank you as well to everyone who listened and commented on last week's show, where we chatted through 90s managers as it was last week. Um, It was one of those shows, actually, that could have really gone on all night. Such was the amount of names we could have talked about. I know we concentrated a lot on Alex Ferguson and Arsene Wenger. Um, but we, as soon as we turned off the mics, we were, there was names that we really would like to have said more about, especially the names from abroad. And some we didn't even mention, especially the not successful ones. I mean, who remembers Dr. Joseph Wenglos at Aston Villa? That was a random appointment of the early 90s. And of course... Christian Gross and his travel card, but we just just ran out of time. So hopefully you enjoyed last week's show. Um, anyway, on to this week's. And yes, 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 it's true. Tonight we are finally doing it. It's the AK nineties video game theme show. Now, for the who's who regularly listen to us, they'll know this has probably been the third or fourth time we've tried to to do this thing. But something always seemed to get in the way. It was like the podcast gods were against us, and we had to postpone. Um, and since then, actually, the BBC have done a a programme on video games and a radio show, I think. And, and there's even an exhibition at the National Football Museum in Manchester on it as well. So, But we planned it long before then, even though you should check out the, the BBC show on iPlayer and the exhibit because they both tie in very nicely with what we'll be chatting through tonight as well. So before we get to that, though, I wanted to talk briefly on my own kind of gaming memories of the 1990s because, to be honest with you, I'm not really a massive gamer um, in 2016, I always play the new FIFA and new Pro Evo when they're out, especially because working uh, a kids' football magazine, you know, it, it's it's very much part of my world. Um, I also like the, the WWE 2K games as well, and, and Football Manager, of course, on my tablet. Although I don't think I have the time anymore to play the what is the monster of the full game, the full PC game now because it's so brilliant. But generally, my biggest court gaming periods were in the 1990s. Surprisingly, um, the f- I mean, the m- first machine I ever really played on, I think, was my dad's old Amstrad. Uh, I can't recall what model or anything like that. It was quite an old cassette type player thing um i didn't have any football games on it, i don't think but vaguely remember playing some sort of nfl game um with graphics that today's kids would really really laugh at um one of my friends had a master system i remember that um but he only really had Paperboy, and uh, i think he had one of the early mario mario games on that as well but my first real kind of game in love was the sega mega drive because i still remember my dad buying that i think he bought it from my local um video store as well like we had not like a blockbusters but it was kind of a local one um, called Lawrence Video for those who know South East London that we actually bought it from there and I, I remember getting it home feeling really like the coolest kid in town and it came with Mega Games 1 I think which was a combination of Super Hang On, Columns of course and World Cup Italia 90 which we'll talk about in a bit and um, it's just that that console had some great great games like the original Sonics I mean who forget the fear of drowning in those Sonic games that horrible music when you thought you were running out of breath in the, in the water levels that was brilliant Streets of Rage uh, James Pond, Cool Spot. I loved Cool Spot. That's one game people seem to forget, but I loved it. Uh, Disney had some great games like Aladdin and World of Illusion, and there was the Tiny Toons games. I remember really on, early on in the Mega Drive. So many on that console that I still have in the garage. Actually, um, me and my uh, few of my friends keep saying we're going to do a retro gaming night, so that would be a lot, a lot of fun. I think my best mate as well had SNES at the time, which was obviously the other big machine the super nintendo and we were playing things on that like street fighter and the mario games and of course star fox but that was my real, real first era as a gamer and then later in the decade i became obsessed with the n64 um, which was kind of a later console in the 90s and, and three games in particular fifa 98 which again we will talk about obviously on the podcast uh, mario kart which was brilliant especially the n64 version but probably one of the best games for me ever on that console so and, and overall, actually, it was Goldeneye. I mean, how good was that game? Especially the multiplayer that we used to go around trying to find each other, the golden gun, things like that. I had a lot of fun um, playing on those. So that's a bit of brief history to my own sort of gaming memories. Obviously, going to speak loads more on the football games in just a second. But before we do, here's how you can keep in touch with us. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at AK90s. And please do, because it's not just sort of information on the show. We do also every day put up as many 90s related images we can find um, on this day. We like to to tell you what's happening this day in the 90s. So do give us a like on Facebook or follow us on Twitter and and drop us a line on anything you'd like us to talk about or anything you've got hiding in the garage. We'd love to see that. Um, You can also subscribe to the show and listen to the show, firstly on SoundCloud, on the website, or of course on iTunes. We've done 26 shows now. Um, so if you haven't listened to any of them, go back and listen because we've covered so much already. and We've got still loads to do, but go back and listen. And if you do enjoy it, I know I say it every week, sound like a broken record, but it does mean a lot to us. 
if you could leave a little review and a five star rating, it'd be brilliant because it's really nice to hear from you guys and, and share our 90s nostalgia trip with you. So let's press start and choose our characters for tonight's show. Firstly, his debut was actually meant to be on our video game show the last time. But all of a sudden, it's now his hat-trick appearance. It's our Wolves Wonder from Media 73, Graham Large. Good evening, Graham. Evening, Ash. Good to have you back on. And then making their first start, uh, a YouTube voice that you may know, especially if you're a Liverpool fan, from Redman TV, Ball Street, and the new brilliant retro football TV, Paul Machin. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, no, not a, not a problem at all. Good stuff. And lastly, writer for The Sun and author of a brilliant book on FIFA football, which is called FIFA Football, the story behind the video game sensation, Lee Price. Good evening, Lee. Hello, mate. All right. Good stuff. Thank you for joining us, guys. We'll get your uh, CVs in just a minute. Um, Here's a couple of things. Not that many this week uh, that happened in the 90s this time last week. Um, On the 10th of March, 1997, for the second season running, Newcastle are beating 4-3 at Anfield as Robbie Fowler nets an injury time winner. I'm sure Paul remembers that one. On the 12th (laughs) of March, 1998, Arsenal offered to buy Wembley Stadium after being unable to extend Highbury. And on the 14th of March, 1998, Mark Overmars scores the winner at Old Trafford as Arsenal goes six points uh, within the leaders with three games in hand and go on, of course, to win the title that season. So we're doing CVs. All of a sudden, Graham, it's your third already. So we're talking Wolves goals. Um, Is that man going to come up again? Is that name? Uh, Well, he did score 306, didn't he? (laughs) That was just in one season, wasn't it? Well, (laughs) he scored scored a third of those across two seasons. So it just goes to... Goes to show how clinical he was at the time, but no, I've gone for, I've gone for a fairly obscure Wolves player, a player called Paul Simpson, who's actually now on um, Steve McLaren's backroom yep. staff, Newcastle. Yep. He only played for Wolves for I think it was about a season and a half, and he was on loan at the time, and he scored an absolute blinding goal in a game against Swindon at Molyneux. Um, I think it was in early 1998, where he was about 40. 40, 45 yards out from goal. And I think it was Andy Thompson that had the ball. They broke on the attack. And he almost went over to Andy Thompson to shove him out of the way and said, leave it out, mate. I've got an idea here. And he just put his foot through the ball. The keeper was off the line. And it was just one of those where you just watch it sail into the net. And there wasn't even that, is it going to, is it going to, is it going to? It was a case of you knew that ball was just going to hit the back of the net. It was just all a matter of time of how long it was going to take to come down. But it, it, it's a stunning goal. I'll, I'll tweet the link later so yeah, people can, yeah. uh, can, can see that one. But uh, that's got to be my favourite Wolves goal of the 90s. And well, as I always say, other than outside of Molyneux, your favourite goal of the 90s? Uh, 1999 uh, FA Cup semi-final yeah. replay. Do I need to say any more? No, you don't. And so, yeah, <laughs> it's one that comes up a lot. And I think, we, I think it, yeah, it made our top 10. Uh, goals you can check that on the website um which we did earlier in the season okay we go to some newbies now which is great we've had a wrath of liverpool uh supporters in the last few weeks um one name again usually comes up for their player of the 90s they call him god paul is that your player of the 90s for liverpool it's basically not even worth me talking is it um <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it, it, it absolutely has to be robbie Fowler. I'd, I'd love to be able to come here and, and kind of you know go a bit Go a bit hipster and pull a Rigobert song out or something, but no, it's um, it's not going to happen. It's, it's Robbie Fowler all day long, especially being a, a young lad growing up in Liverpool. He was absolutely it, absolutely the, the the pinnacle of everything you wanted to be as a young lad. I always, I mean, he had so much competition in that sort of age internationally. Why do you think he never really reproduced it for England? Was it just he wasn't really ever given enough chances? Oh, because England's always run by a bunch of twats. <laughs> <laughs> Good reason as any, yes. Yeah, no, no, it's right. You know, we, we, that, that was the, the, the long-suffering thing. As Liverpool fans is, is watching... Liverpool players who you thought were, were more than good enough or, or better than what was available being kind of overlooked and you know he, he played in that era when Alan Shearer was nailed on to play for England all, all day long and then all of a sudden Michael Owen burst onto yeah. the scene didn't he and, and that was that was sort of the end of Fowler's, Fowler's chances for England Just quickly on Owen what as Liverpool I know he went on to play for May United but even before that you never really kind of held him in the same regard as Robbie did you what kind of reasons are there with Liverpool fans and Michael Owen um, he's from he's from Chester. <laughs> no, he's uh, no. I don't know what it was. I, I think I've I've seen someone else probably someone so better than me. But I think it's this this notion that, that he 
he was very English. Yeah, and, you know we're very we're very very scouts, not yeah. English. You know, and he, he was he was England's Michael Owen first, and yeah. then he was Liverpool's Michael Owen second. And I think that was a that kind of came across somehow. That and he was he was very much like a CID cop in training, um, and I never really no one really got a great affinity with him because as we can all see and everyone's subjected to every time he does commentary, the, the man is a is a personality black hole. <laughs> yeah, it's not been a good career move for Michael Owen. Anyway, so outside of Anfield, your favourite player in the nineties, Paul. Ooh, um, I'd have to go for Zinedine Zidane. I know yeah. it's touching on. I know he didn't really come to the fore till the end of the nineties, but absolutely in- incredible. Yeah, he's in that bracket, isn't he? Of, of players that whatever sort of era you're looking at, he's going to be one of the first names mentioned. The, so. the only other one I'd, I'd sneak in there because I get it, it's probably a bit of an easy one. My other one because I was a goalkeeper growing up was Jose Luis Chilaver. Of course, yes, the goal scoring goalkeeper, goal scoring goalie. Yeah, it's something the Nick Hancock videos at the time used to have. Um, used to have some of his goals on. I used to watch them on repeat. They were absolutely amazing. Yeah, they were brilliant. Okay, on to Lee. Then Lee, now your club allegiance is a little bit mixed isn't it <laughs> yeah so I'm a Dagenham Redbridge fan but as I was a kid I was a glory hunter uh, <laughs> and supported Manchester United as every other kid in the <laughs> south did um, so during the 90s I didn't have a favourite Dagenham player but I did have two favourite United players um, my first one was Ryan Giggs but not yeah. for the obvious reasons but for his curly hair as a, a toddler I really loved his black lustrous locks and I used to say to my <laughs> nan I wish I could have hair like that because um, I was a little blonde kid and when I grew up my hair darkened so maybe I got my wish oh, it's like and, Tom Hanks in Big <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly that's how I am now I just bounce my bed at home um, and my second player was Yap Stam he came a little bit late into the 90s but I just thought uh, for a kid who wanted to be a defender because he wasn't good enough to be a forward player Yap Stam was absolutely it in terms of uh, physical defending and making up for technical deficiencies with physical attributes so I idolised him and he left too soon yeah, very true. Um, outside of Old Trafford then, not necessarily at Dagenham, but uh, your favourite player of the 90s? Well, mine is actually video game inspired because I came to football through video games because my dad was boxing rather than football. Okay. Uh, and a very early edition of Championship Manager, um, I signed the French forward Patrice Loco. Uh, <laughs> and he was my main man. And for like two or three seasons, I was saying at school, oh, I wish Man United would sign Patrice Loco. He's the best. And I think there was one season in real life where he actually replicated that form and then just dropped off entirely. Yeah, yeah, it's a name we've not had on here before, but it's brilliant. <laughs> I agonised over bringing it up, but it, he was my first sort of idol in a weird way. No, that's a, that's a great, and obviously perfect for this week's theme as well. No, great stuff. Um, I'm going to ask you quickly as well, your allegiance to... What made you... Because you've written a book on it, haven't you? Switching yeah. to, to supporting Dagenham. What... Just briefly, sum up, like, why <laughs> did you decide and, and why Dagenham? Yeah, long story short, I was, I was pissed off by the Premier League money-making machine. Uh, I moved house in the same summer that I had this epiphany, and my local club was Dagenham Redbridge. They'd finished the lowest surviving club in the Football League, whereas Man United were the champions. So it just seemed like the most dramatic switch um, and the most obvious switch. And I've loved it, actually. No, that's good. That's uh, make sure we give you guys give that a read because it's it's a very good book as well. And we'll talk Thank about you. your your FIFA one in just a bit as well. Yes. Um we're going to talk. We're going to start off really because you know we've been wanting to do this theme for so long. So we're going to try and cover as much as possible um, in today's uh, podcast with with so much to talk about. But kind of your, your earliest game in memories, EPG. I mean, I said in uh, the intro that you know Mega Drive was kind of really my first proper love, my proper. Uh, memories come from Mega Drive and the first football game would have been World Cup Italia 90 with the big heads um, used to play from a bird's eye view so let's start with um, with Graham what would, you, what would be your first sort of early memories of, of football video games basically I uh, I grew up in a little village in Shropshire and in the nearby towns to me uh, Bridge North and Kidderminster there were there were no computer game shops so I used to have to wait to go to Wolverhampton which didn't happen very often when I was younger to go to a shop called Software City, where the guy seemed to me at the time like he was the coolest guy in the world, but I've probably changed my perception on the guy that run it since then over a few years, going on what uh, gamers have um, turned into over the last few years. But um, he, he used to do a lot, of, uh, a lot of bundle offers in the shop, so I used to love going in there because I used to be able to go in there with a tenant and come out with three or four games. Mm. Invariably, two of them would be crap, but I'd always get two decent ones out of there. But the first one of the first bundles I remember buying had Kickoff Two, yeah, um, Sensible Soccer the original, mm. um, Premier Manager Two, 
and I think it was the original Striker game for the Amiga. Yeah. And that was probably the best bundle that I bought. They got progressively worse after that. But that that cost me hours of my childhood. And I, I, I believe they were hours well spent anyway. I remember Super Kickoff 2 being on, I think I had it on a Game Boy as well. Um, that was one of the early ones. And someone literally has just mentioned that on Twitter as well. John Watson has mentioned it. He said nothing ever came close to kick off two on the Amiga. So, yeah, it's a good shout for them. Uh, Paul, what was your kind of earliest memories of, of football video games? The, the earliest memories is probably getting a, a, a ZX uh, Sinclair Spectrum Plus 3 and thinking, wow, my mum and dad are on it here. They, you know, they've, they've sorted me out. I was probably six years old, but not realised until... I've, it's only in later years I've realised that my dad basically bought it for him. So it was in my bedroom, and then my dad used to, used to play football manager with me. But essentially, he would sit in the corner of my bedroom and, and guide Liverpool up from the old Division Four, um, and, and 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 tell me that I was a big part of this. But with the gift of hindsight, probably didn't have the input um, that I would I would I would seek these days in in a football game. But uh, moving on from that, it was it was the Atari Atari ST. Um, God, that would have been the five twenty, and then. Yeah, striker, sensible, sensible soccer, and micro soccer as well on that, which was which yeah. was an amazing one. Yeah, Especially right. when, when you put the cheat in and you could do the proper banana kicks, where it would go <laughs> like completely three hundred and sixty degrees around the player. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, big time. Let's just quickly talk about your your new channel as well, Retro Football TV, because you guys have been playing some of the early nineties games on there as well. Yeah. Um, how did how did that come about? And just tell sort of the listeners what what the sh- what the channel's about. So it came about uh, basically because it, it, it felt like a nice sidewood step from obviously doing a lot of football coverage that we've, we, we're kind of known for from Liverpool stuff and then wider football stuff with Ball Street. But what, what's interesting is we love, love all games, but what, and, and this is true this is true about football across the board, is that football's becoming more and more isolated and people are, you know, people are playing games in the bedrooms. They don't get together with the mates anymore. Yeah, yeah. And that's where like, I think the success of, you can see it with, certain podcasts and we've done it with Redmen TV getting four lads in a room talking football is something that a lot of Liverpool fans a lot of football fans don't have anymore yeah. and it, I thought wow well you know this clearly there's something missing from game and culture and plus I was so pissed off with all the FIFA fanboys there's um, so many every, as well yeah. every single year because I don't mind the FIFA games but I've, I've been a pro Evo guy for, for a number of years but I um, I hate the fact that like it's 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 one or the other, and you're stupid if you don't get it. We used to play every football game. Yeah, yeah. We we used to have like six football, six six seven football games a year. You play whatever one came out, and that's you can see that over the years the the, 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 the decline of how many new football games are coming out. But when you go back to the eighties, nineties, there's hundreds of them. There's and so we don't, many. Let's go back and play them. Yeah, there's so many because I we've been writing the book for the AK nineties book, which spawned this podcast, and researching the, the more games. I've, I will, I'll go through the whole list. Uh, towards the end of the podcast today but there are so I don't think anyone can remember recall so many football games there wasn't it wasn't like you say like now you kind of get FIFA Pro Evo and that's kind of it and obviously the management games but there used to be one sort of every few months and there's so different titles different kind of variations things like Red Card which was all about sort of fouling people and things like that that was in the 90s so there are a lot let's just quickly go to Lee then Lee you're slightly younger than a couple of us I believe so what what are your earliest gaming memories well my first console uh, was a Sega Mega Drive and the first football game I remember was Marco's Magic Football oh brilliant that's a great one yeah which was like the side scrolling platform which I don't know what relevance it had to actual football but he kicked a footballer through these various levels so that was my first yeah it was like an old school kind of Sonic game but just with a little kid with a football yeah football around the level yeah, which was yeah. uh which was quite fun and my first real game was adidas power soccer which oh. i obsessed over yeah that's a great game yeah that was a that was another one that was way up there in some of the twitter mentions as can well. i just say that is one that does not hold up to your nostalgia <laughs> we, we played that we, we did that on the channel a few months ago and it, like as much as we all look back fondly and remember that the predator shot and all that from that game <laughs> it is the most unbalanced football oh, game no. you know? yeah run, run 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 press press square and pressing square and circle tell a fifa player today that you've got to press square and circle at the same time to make something happen <laughs> makes the heads pop it's incredible i think the most retro one that people look back on um as well is sensible soccer um is one i think that was one of the first big ones of the the 90s as well before the, we'll talk FIFA of course in a minute um, Graham do you remember the, the sort of uh, the cover of Sensible Soccer Rude Hullet on it what are your memories of Sensible Soccer oh wow um, that was probably the, the the game that I still 
will call my favourite football game of all time. To be fair, the very original sensible soccer. Because at the time, when you when you played um, Super Kickoff, Micropose, games like that, sensible soccer just completely flips the whole gameplay football aspect on its head by having the the bird's eye view. So you had to sort of anticipate what was coming up next. Um, the the gameplay was a lot faster. You got. Um, on a lot of them, you'd actually got the proper teams as well, which you'd never really seen up until that stage. But I, I used to always love as well getting the uh, Amiga magazines around about Christmas because the producers of uh, Sensible Soccer and Cannon Fodder used to release uh, sort of remix games at the time. <laughs> and the one I remember the most fondly was um, was the uh, the wartime um, Sensible Soccer meets Bulldog Blighty, where the football was actually played with a grenade and. <laughs> It would go off at random times throughout the game, and any players that were nearby, sorry lads, it's down to nine versus six, quite simply, with a bomb blast. <laughs> and another one that they did was a version of cannon fodder where they actually had uh, sensible soccer footballers fighting the soldiers as well, which was just just, just brilliant to uh, to play at the time. You wouldn't get anything like that today. No, but you just can't imagine FIFA to... 17 being like that, can you? Imagine just... blowing Cristiano Ronaldo's leg off <laughs> on, on, a, on a FIFA variant, the, the, yeah. the, the few. Twitter would, would break the internet. <laughs> but just going back to something that Paul touched on there as well, I think he, he touched on something that people that play football manager today don't have the luxury of. When, when we first started playing games on the, uh, on, the, on the Amiga, if it was a management game, no matter what team you chose, you had to start from the bottom and work your way up. Yeah. You didn't have the luxury of going, going straight into managing the, uh, the champions and being in the position where you could win the top division. You, you literally had to start, in some cases, from the fourth division and just work your way back up. And um, it, it, I, I find that much more enjoyable than what you can do on today's games. Yeah, like, so today's games are so much more detailed as well. I don't know how people find the time. Um, just going quickly, a quick back to sensible soccer. Paul, is that something you remember from your early nineties childhood as well? Yeah, it's it's funny because that was the first. I think that was genuinely the first football game that was on, on a par with like 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 we've got FIFA and like we've got Pro Evo now. That you had you dipped in and out of other ones, but you always had sensible soccer. You kept that, and, you know. And, and I, I joked that when it, everybody had the same games copied. Copied versions of Championship Manager, a copied version of Sensible Soccer, and a copied version of like Cannon Fodder. And literally every child in the nineties had those those games, no matter what. And you couldn't not have them. And the best thing about it is it holds up. We've just done a video came out today with um, the guy who runs Four Four Tunes, um, the YouTube channel. Oh right, yeah. Going back and playing Sensible World of Soccer, and we had a ball. It was a, you know half a day spent playing that. It's a, it's a tough life sometimes. Yeah. You know? um, it yeah. is my job. It is, honestly. Yeah. yeah honestly. Um, yeah. The missus doesn't quite understand it when she's yeah, been looking after the baby really. all day. Um, yeah. So, yeah, yeah it, it is. It, it, it's a genuinely astonishing game. And it was the first of, like, the, I suppose, kick-off two probably as well. But, like, the first of the genuinely super football titles. Brilliant. We'll talk FIFA and ISS in a minute, um, especially with Lee and about his book. But before we do, we've got today's interview as well. Um, he played, it's quite close to my heart, this one. Um, it's the first QPR player we've had on the show. So I had waited quite long into the, into the season to do it. He's former midfielder Simon Barker talking to me on Alive and Kicking. Simon Barker, welcome to Alive and Kicking. Hi. How are you doing? Yeah, very good, thank you. Very good. Thank you for joining us. It's, an, it's a pleasure to hear from you, especially for myself, because I'm a QPR fan as well, and you spent uh, most of the 90s at Loftus Road, so let's take you back to then. I wanted to ask you firstly uh, about a game at the beginning of the 90s that's kind of in QPR folklore, the, the, the game at Old Trafford that you played in, the 4-1 win. Uh, what are your memories of that game, and it, would it rank up there one of the best games you played in for QPR? Um, definitely one of the uh, the best team performances, without a doubt. I think the uh, the Rangers fans at the time called it the uh, uh, New Year New Year Massacre, um, which was uh, it was really good. We were playing really well at the time. Um, we had a, a good group of players as well. You know, good good footballers like David Barsley, Clive Wilson, um, Andy Sinton, Ray Wilkins. Um, don't think Les played that day. In fact, um, Les Ferdinand. I don't know why he didn't play, but um, I think we had. Uh, uh, it Roy Wegley, obviously. Yeah, Roy Wegley. It was. Yeah. You're right. Uh, Roy Wegley and uh, and Dennis Bailey. Obviously, Dennis Bailey um, got the hat trick, which uh, I think Andy Sinton scored the other goal, um, which was four one. And I remember Roy 
missing a, um, mm. a not chance, an open yeah. goal, but it was a very very good chance for just the keeper to beat to make it five one, which would have uh, really put the icing on the cake. But no, it was a. It was a, it was a, it was a, it was a really good game. We played really well against, a, you know, a decent Man United side as well. Um, and I'm not sure whether we've won since then uh, back at Old Trafford, but it certainly, um, you know, is uh, is a great memory for myself. Anyway, mm. that team obviously went on under Jerry Francis as well the following season in the inaugural Premier League to finish top London club. You mentioned some of the names there. What was it about that group of players that, that did so well under Jerry Francis? Um, it was a different, uh, a different era, probably as well from from, from now. Um, I always remember in those days, you probably had to sell a, a player every two years to sort of make it make the club uh, solvent. Um, but you know, we, we we got some good players from lower league teams. Um, when you look back at uh, people like uh, Darren Peacock, who we bought from Hereford, if I remember rightly, um, Andy Simpson. Uh, the, you know, I think they both uh, were sold for about two and a half million pounds after after that. Uh, Andy Simpson came from Brentford. Um, Rufus Brevis as well was uh, was brought. I can't remember now where Rufus was uh, brought from. Um, lower league team anyway. So you know it, it was um, it was a good club. We had a, we had a good scouting network. We brought them through, and it was a good group of players as well. They were all. Um, invited into the group, and uh, you know had a good team spirit, um, and it was a you know a great stadium to play at Loftus Road. It was always a difficult place. You'd speak to a lot of players and fans in that in that area as well. Um, you know they all enjoyed playing at uh, Loftus Road, but found it difficult because the crowd were right on top of the players. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we had a we had, we had a really really good. Um, Era during that time, even before that, um, God bless him. Um, you know, for me, was a really good manager was uh, was Don Howe, yeah. and he was uh, just recently um, um, uh, died. But uh, he was uh, great for me. He he um, liked me as a player and got me into the side, and uh, I'll be forever grateful for his um, input into my career uh, and got my career going. And then obviously we moved on to Jerry Francis. He was a great organizer of, uh, of, of the side, um, worked very much on the team play, but we had very good players, uh, within that team play as well. As I said, um, you know, great fullbacks start of any attack is your fullback with, uh, David Barsley and, um, and, and uh, Clive Wilson, as well as Rufus Brevis as well. Um, you know, but good footballers as well, and obviously we had the up front with Les Ferdinand. You know, and, and players like Gary Penrice and uh, um, and Wegerly and uh, and uh, and Dennis Bailey with that great uh, great hat trick. You always used to come in and score goals. Mm. You mentioned Les. Obviously, he was the standout player of that era as well. How good was Les? And is there anyone sort of modern day you compare him to? Um, I'm not sure that I can actually think about somebody who was um, Les, if he was still playing now, would be a 70, 80 million pound player. Yeah. Um, for me, he had everything, absolutely everything. Uh, if, they, if, if, if teams back fours dropped off, he'd come, he'd come short, pick the ball up and dribble past them. If they pushed up, he could run in behind. If they played deep and, and, and we just put the ball in the box, his leap was was unbelievable. He wasn't six foot; I think he was about five, five eleven or something mm. like that. Les was maybe six foot, but you know his his, his, his unbelievable hang time was 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 frightening. Uh, he had a, absolutely everything. He could dribble, he could score, um, he worked hard. Uh, a great lad as well, a really good lad. Maybe the only thing I would say that he didn't have was complete belief. Um, that he was as good as he was. Um, that might be the only slight thing that I could say. But other than that, you know, he was absolutely great for QPR and went on to prove himself at uh, uh, at Newcastle and um, you know played in a number of clubs after that: Tottenham, Bolton, and Leicester, I think it was, um, which proved that he was a good pro as well. That he played so long. So um, now he, he, I would say he's probably the best player I played with. Um, so um, you know, he, and he makes a massive difference to our side. Remember rightly, when he left to go to Newcastle, um, I think we, uh, I think he scored about twenty-three goals mm. the previous year, and I think it was uh, Kevin Gallon had got probably about ten, I think. 
10 or, or, or 12 the, the year before. I think we then replaced him with uh, Mark Haitley, uh, who unfortunately was a you know was a good player but was injured at the time. Great lad, they didn't quite work out the way we'd all hoped. Danny Dickio came in, I think, and scored about 12 goals. I think um, um, Kevin scored around about the same. I, I sort of chipped in with about six, and probably that 10 goal difference was the reason why we got relegated the following the following year. Mm. Um, which, which shows you how much you need a goal scorer to uh, to you know to to be a good side and to be able to compete in that division. Mm. You, you mentioned the relegation the following year, and Ray Wilkins came in, and then for Stuart Houston was it? Keep I didn't quite ever get the balance right to go straight back up, and never really, like you said, replace the goals of Les. I don't think no. I don't think we did replace the goals. Of, uh, I mean, Ray was there the, the year before. I think the year before we finished. I'm not sure, but you know, quite high up in the league the year before and played really well. We lost Les, and and then we went down that following year. And then I, uh, Ray started off the season, the first season in the championship, and um, was I think uh, after about five games, I think uh, he left um, with a new owner coming in. Um, and you know, it, I think they put money into it. I remember him buying uh, uh, John Spencer mm. and Gavin Peacock, two very, very good players. But it just didn't happen. And it's, uh, I think, that's proven with a lot of uh, clubs that have gone down. It's a very difficult division to get out of, um, and it just didn't happen. And uh, we know what what happened. It took a long, long time for for Rangers to get back into the Premier League. Um, even though it was for a short time, back down again and back up again and then back down again, which uh, you know was very disappointing watching from afar. I, love, I now live up in, in Manchester now, but I always uh, watch what happens at, uh, at Rangers and uh, was lucky enough to go back uh, a year, two years ago, um, and which was uh, which was really good to see uh, to see everybody back there. Mm. You played with quite a few different midfield partners uh, at QPR during your time. There were Ray Wilkins and Ian Holloway, and then Gavin Peak, as you mentioned. Is there one you prefer to play with? You had the best partnership you with? Uh, oh, lots. I, you know, I enjoyed playing with uh, with all of them. Actually, um, it was uh, it was a great time. There were some very very good players that I played with. Ray with his uh, his his, his uh, passing ability, but he, but also his knowledge and uh, experience. You know, I learned a lot from Ray in, in how to play. Ian Holloway was great. I loved playing with uh, with Ian because of his enthusiasm, mm-hmm. his uh, his energetic play. And um, you know he would allow me to go, get forward and, uh, and try and score goals. Gavin was a very good player. Um, I always remember playing with Steve Hodge. I had a great mm-hmm. spell with Steve Hodge. Uh, you know the old Nottingham Forest player who came to QPR, and we had a, uh, a very good, uh, although short time, uh, playing together in the field, which was really good. But no, you know, I, I enjoyed uh, you know all the all the um, midfield partners that I played with it was uh, it was it was a very special time at QPR in uh, in those days and maybe was taken for granted at the time. But uh, you know, looking back, it was uh, you know it was halcyon days. Mm. You mentioned Les was probably the best you played with. Who would you say would be the best player of that era that you played against? Um, I uh, the best player I played against, in my opinion, was. Uh, was John Barnes, uh, the Liverpool side of that era, late eighties. Um, you know, was a was a was a was a great side. He was he was a great player, great athlete, great balance, great skill. Um, he had everything, and, and a really good uh, football intelligence, tactical uh, knowledge. Played against lots and lots of good players in that in that era. You know, Paul Gascoigne and. Chris Waddle, you know, so many players that I could I could mention, um, but John Barnes for me, I always say was the was the best player uh, I played against in, in in that era. Brilliant. And and what are you up to now, Simon? Are you still with the the PFA? What's your role there? Yeah, yeah, I'm uh, been been here now 16 years since I retired at age 35. So um, yeah, into my 50s now. Um, I'm the assistant chief executive here at the Professional Footballers Association. I, I, I deal with lots of uh, represent players in uh, disciplinary tribunals and dispute resolution between clubs, players, and governing bodies, um, contracts, regulations, all things like that. It's um, it's a job I love. I love doing it. It was something I was very interested in, and was a PFA rep when I was at QPR, um, and I was lucky enough to be offered a job when I retired. And as I say, I've been here 
since then. So, um, you know, it's been a big part of my life and, uh, you know, I, I feel very lucky that uh, I've been able to uh, enjoy both my playing career and also afterwards and I've still been involved in football. So I feel very, very lucky as a person. Brilliant. Well, thank you very much for talking. You're very well thought of at Loftus Road. So thank you for that and, and thanks for talking to us. Thanks very much. Uh, Cheers, Simon. Bye-bye. Bye, man. Good stuff there from Simon and some hold some particular fond memories for me, especially that game at Old Trafford as well. So let's talk FIFA then uh, with Lee, who literally wrote the book on the subject. Let's talk briefly then how FIFA came about in the 90s. The first one came out in 94. Uh, FIFA 94 actually came out in December 93. So tell us briefly about how it came about and your early memories of that first FIFA game. Yeah, so it came out almost by mistake. So at the time, EA Sports were wholly focused on North American sports. Um, but some clever guy said, maybe we should look at soccer. It's really big across the pond. Why not have a try? They had some spare cash. And long story short, they said, OK, here's a minimal budget. Get a game out for the next World Cup. Uh, it seems like a money-making opportunity. Of course, the, the World Cup rights for World Cup 94 had already been assigned somewhere else. So that was their first major cock-up. And they decided to counteract that by bringing it out in December before the tournament uh, and made the whole process within two months, which is very stressful for the team, I understand. Yeah. Um, so it got to a point where they were almost going to pull the plug because the, the World Cup rights was a big deal for EA Sports. That was their initial USP across all their games and all their platforms. Um, so they almost pulled the plug and it got to a point where they were trying to forget about this game. The team working on it were shut off in a side office. They were almost cast adrift. And then when it came out, it became the biggest selling game of 1993, despite coming out in December. Yeah. Uh, and it exceeded its sales targets by, I think, 400% within six weeks. Uh, so it was a phenomenon. And the reason for that was because they had this isometric pitch view, yeah. which at the time was unique. Um, and it, it was the start of something. And that first game, you go back now, I'm sure, I'm sure Paul will confirm, uh, it's very sketchy. Uh, there are big bugs in it. Um, but you can see that the, the view was a game changer and that established FIFA quite quickly as a market leader. Mm. Paul, what are your memories from the first sort of FIFA game? Yeah, I, I think it was, um, it was, it, it was, well, whether it was actually revolutionary or it felt or we were told it was revolutionary <laughs> because yeah, I remember the, uh, the box, the box for the Super Nintendo and it, it was very proud of the animation and it would show like the four frames of animation that the goalkeepers had, which is obviously groundbreaking. Um, but yeah, you got, again, it's one of those things. It feels a bit still to go back to, but at the time, yeah, it was, it felt like something we'd not seen. We, we'd gotten used to the top down view. Yeah. We gotten used to you know kind of left to right scrolling games or whatever, and then that came out and it was, it was it felt it felt it felt next next generation compared to the the things that we'd had prior to that, and that was I remember like literally the anticipation of going into town to buy to pick that game up and then getting home to play it. You know, again, like I say, as with many of these things, when you go back and play it now, you kind of wonder what the hell you were thinking. But <laughs> um, it was it was it, at the time it was it was out of this world. It had many quirks as well that I quite like. Um, things like, you know, you had the super EA superstar team with Ken Law because he didn't have the player names and, and things like that. And playing Qatar and scoring like 20 goals against them. Graham, what, what are your memories of the first FIFA international superstar soccer? Um, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to think back to that one, to be fair. I mean, I remember the later FIFA games a bit more fondly, um, particularly when you had like the indoor mode. Yes. Um, and... Uh, and, and various other gimmicks that seem to come with a game each time, but um, or I mean, I remember the uh, the view being so much uh, so much different compared to the games that I was uh, playing on the Amiga because I think I got the uh, first FIFA for the Super Nintendo, so it's probably one of the um, first games that I actually played on a console properly. Um, but um, I'm, I'm I'm struggling to remember some of the aesthetics of it at the moment. I remember the coin toss they used to do at the beginning of the FIFA where they had those massive coins in the screen you had to choose which end. That was always something that made me laugh when I went back and looked at it. What happened to coin tosses in football games? Exactly. It's a poor part of football. Absolutely gone. It's it, it, it vanished. ISS, the ISS games had it as well and all of a sudden now player two kicks left. Yeah, exactly. Right. It's just completely disappeared. And also, you, that was the first time as well we also heard in the game as well, EA Sports. That was something that was kind of like at the beginning of this podcast. We did the Sega from the Mega Drive opening that EA Sports in the game. That was something that we first heard on, on the FIFA games. But they did progress um, throughout the 90s. And I think one that's quite held in quite hard regard is the 98 version, the road to, to World Cup. Um, Lee, tell us how that progressed to, to that point. 
so the games then started to become more serious. They realised, oh, actually, this soccer thing, it's got an audience. <laughs> um, so they started putting actual dedicated teams rather than a, a small crew. Um, and it became a real game. Um, and the World, World Cup 98 game is particularly good. Yeah. It was the first to have a full World Cup of, of teams there. So I think it had the full FIFA representation of, I don't know if it was 64 or 128 teams, but it was the first time you actually felt genuinely, God, I've got the whole football world at my fingertips. Mm. Uh, and I led Wales to the World Cup victory in that game. It was my <laughs> proudest moment. So um, that's how I know that. Yeah. <laughs> when you look back at these things, I was doing it earlier, it's, I mean, the gameplay is obviously very much the game, but it's the menus that really hold nostalgic value. When you remember the kind of what mm. the menus look like and the music, I think... The music was a huge blur. thing for 90 years. Yeah. yeah, it was the first time they had a, a soundtrack yeah. of real songs and they'd actually teamed up with a real music label to... Uh, create their own playlists yes. and that now is a huge thing EA Tracks getting on there for an artist is you know career defining yeah. whereas back then they just sort of got a load of cheap songs Blur agreed to do a song for free in exchange for World Cup final tickets um, <laughs> and they had this <laughs> yeah, soundtrack and this well iconic there. track yeah brilliant deal wasn't it brilliant it was a really good game um, but it was by 98 there was another title on the market um, would later be known as Pro Evo, but at the time, as Paul mentioned pre- uh, previously, was ISS. How, for you, Paul, did ISS change the com- like the kind of the game basically against FIFA when it came out in the sort of mid to late nineties? Well, I, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna nitpick slightly because I think it was it was ISS Pro which was the one that really really changed the game because yeah. I had International Superstar Soccer prior to that, which was another game that was in the rotation. You know, it was another one of those ones that you picked up, you played for a bit, and you, you know, you, you really get into. ISS Deluxe probably became a bit more, bit more of a staple. But then when when it went three D, it's stuff. I always, I always bring this story up, but it was a, it was for me it was life changing because a few of my mates had gotten into Magic the Gathering, which I don't know if you know, but it's weird. Uh, like a weird card game. Oh thing. right, yeah. Like you get the shops uh, in the shopping centre. Yeah, I know. What yeah, you mean, yeah, and 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 that that ISS Pro, I had that on pre-order and that dropped in um, when I got back from school. When it, I was teetering on the brink of, do I join in this this Magic the Gathering craze? And I had fifteen minutes on it before I went and met my mates, and it was just the best thing I'd ever played. It was just, and it, again, it's another one we've done. A, it's our one. It's actually one of the games we've played on on the channel, and it's abysmal. But it was again at the time that moved to to three D and it, that was the, I mean that that set that set ISS and that and then obviously into Pro Evolution Soccer on a on on the on a on a different path basically it went from being a bit of a, a comedy game a bit of a, a bit of a, a bit comic booky to being a, a proper proper football game. Mm. Graham, you you remember ISS and and share the same memories as Paul? I'm very much the same as Paul, as in the in the sense that I used to I used to flip between. Um, which whichever game was more current at the time and uh, whichever game was more up to date, I do seem to recall that as soon as they start adding the uh, the pro and particularly the pro evolution to the name, the game got increasingly better. I mean, you could see you could see in the early days that the um, you, you could certainly see the Japanese influence on the game. Yeah, given it was the called Winning that, Eleven, wasn't it originally? Yeah, 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 that was right. And then and you got the uh, the much sharper graphics on there to begin with. But um, then, as soon as it got to the pro evolution stage, I mean, particularly when they started introducing the, uh, the training features, it, it, it seemed to step up a notch. And um, go, going back to that uh, FIFA '98 game as well, I see. I, I remember that was the first one to actually introduce the offside rule properly into the game. Because mm. before, when you were playing FIFA, you could be in an offside position, but even if you passed the ball backwards, you were still judged offside. And uh, it used to be one of the most frustrating. Yeah. Uh, frustrating uh, things about playing uh, playing FIFA but certainly as you got towards 98 99 you, you certainly saw both sides step up uh, step up a considerable amount in terms of uh, producing a much much more realistic football game mm. I remember the names as well because they didn't have the license did they so they had like Roberto Larcos and one Reveron it was meant to be one Veron and even David Backham I think it was yeah. on, on some of them which was quite amusing um, Lee you openly admit in your book that you were a pro evo man but before you got the yeah. fifa stuff was it iss yeah. you got you there yeah i think it was and um i think pro evo in the early 2000s when they were at their most dominant uh so towards the end of the 90s where they were just starting to build up ahead of steam and everyone went do you know what this isn't fifa but it's pretty damn good and actually in many ways 
it's better than FIFA because at that time FIFA was so obsessed with collecting licenses so they were adding the Spanish second division the Portuguese league the Chinese league whereas it felt like Konami who make Provo were adding actual features to their gameplay um, and, it, and it told and I just want to quickly mention that it's hard to imagine now but Provo at one point were FIFA um, they actually poached FIFA's cover star in 2004 Thierry Henry and they were the dominant force yeah, uh, and that were, caused yeah. such chaos at the EA HQ that they started hiring loads of English guys who were pro Evo fanatics to tell them where they were going wrong and to change FIFA. And uh, clearly, it worked. I'm going to put you guys on the spot, each of you now. So we're talking strictly '90s ISS or FIFA, Paul? Oh, it's ISS all day long. Lee, uh, I feel like the only answer is ISS, but I did like '98 on FIFA. Graham. We seem to have lost Graham. <laughs> Sorry, I'm here. Yeah. You're just I, torn. <laughs> you're just torn. Too busy thinking about it. I <laughs> no, no, I was still on mute. I didn't realise. Um, no, it's got, it's, it's got to be ISS. Yeah. Oh, sweeping the ball there for us in the 90s then. Um, good battle between the two. We're going to move on and talk to about management games because I think they're obviously a massive, massive part of, of the 1990s, especially the juggernaut that was Championship Manager, which we know the story that became football manager later on um, in the noughties but it wasn't alone it had there was premier manager as well and there was a couple of uh, sort of football titles endorsed by managers like Graham Soonis uh, Brian Clough did one called first division manager as well um, but I think championship manager for all of us I would imagine is is the game that really kind of got us through many a nights wouldn't you agree Paul? Oh, 100% yeah it's one of those it was I, they talk about it now, really, like a killer app or what have you, um, which sounds horrible. And I wish I'd not. I wish I'd not said that because um, I sound like some sort of tech knob. Um, but um, <laughs> you sound more technologically advanced than I do. So go ahead, anyway. <laughs> yeah. But I, I remember champ- championship manager on the Amiga was the reason to own an Amiga. You know, you you would go, and, and say the same way the champ manager two was the reason to get a PC because it ran so horrifically slowly on the Amiga. And um, yeah, that that was it was absolutely defining life 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 changing yeah. i've got i've got like everyone i mean you see there's there's books been written about it everyone's got stories of being sat on the home a, a, a home on their own having these ridiculously personal experiences <laughs> with players that were basically just weird and like, you think about the commentary at the time yeah. it was such and such goes one-on-one he rounds the keeper he scores and it was it was like a window into a different world uh, yeah chat manager was 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 next level next level shit yeah, you talk about. I mean, I was the sort of person who was interviewing himself after a after a bad game or a good game. I had a lucky song uh, on <laughs> Manitalia. Vic, Vic Reeves and the uh, the Wonder Stuff. Dizzy was dizzy. It was ridiculous. <laughs> Lee, were you share the same thoughts, and were you were the one interviewing yourself as well on the Championship Manager games? I still do. I don't know what you mean. What, what was? I'm still, uh, <laughs> I'm still at it. Um, for me, it was like Joe. Now we've got the internet, so if you love football, you can watch any football you want anywhere. For me, it was a chance to explore the footballing world for the first time properly and discover these random plays you never heard of that in two years' time are going to be amazing. Or, as sometimes they weren't, they were not. Um, but for me, yeah, it was my first introduction to football and I just gobbled it up. You mentioned Patrice Loco. Who else was kind of some of the players? You, you kind of your go-tos. I'll ask the other guys this as well. You oh, can... if, you think of all the classics. You know, you've got your Cherno Sambas, who yeah. was a fleeting hero. Um I just loved finding that Scandinavian player who was usually middle 20s, so wasn't a wonder kid, that you, there's one per game that you'd sign. I know Kim Kallstrom was a yeah. big one. Kennedy Bakasiogli was always mine. Yes, exactly. I could never say the name. That's why I was uh, <laughs> hesitating. He <laughs> went on to play for Ajax and Turkey as well, and he didn't look like anything I ever imagined him looking. Um, I think that was a little bit later. In, I think that may have been early 2000s, maybe 0102, but he was kind of my go-to player. I always, always just go to crew as well, getting young Danny Murphy. And a, and a young kind of uh, Dean Ashton or Kieran Dyer when he was young as well. I used to do that. Chris Kerr is another one, of course. Um, Graham, how about you? Was there, who were your go-to players when you were playing Championship Manager? Kalstrom always was. And then he, uh, then he got linked with Wolves a few years after that, which was a good, <laughs> good few years before he signed uh, for Arsenal. And you there was me. excited, didn't you? I, I, I never wished to sign a player more than that. But it's just, it's just amazing looking back at, um, at like... Um, Zola, uh, Zola Makoku and um, oh, I'm trying to think who else now. Ibrahim Abakioko was another yeah, one. Who, yeah, uh, yeah. He, he came over to play for Everton for a very, a very short amount of time. But it was, it, it was again, it was another player that you, you felt like 
you'd had a part in discovering him because of the fact he was banging in 30 goals a season for you on Championship Manager. But going uh, going back to that and the, the nights I used to spend, particularly in the summer holidays on my PC, and the most infuriating thing used to be when one of my friends that lived around the corner used to come round on a night and I'd have interference and I just used to be, I want to just be on my own with the game, <laughs> leave me alone for a bit. But um, the, press, the, the press conferences uh, when you like when I got told it was my bedtime and I'd be upstairs interviewing myself and I never went quite as far as wearing a suit on cup, uh, wearing a suit on cup final day though. That's uh, I drew the line there. Yeah, there's some great stories and the guys at football manager have really taken that on in the more modern era. Miles Jacobson who's a friend of mine as well. He's done very well. Hopefully getting him on the podcast at some point this season so we can talk even more about football manager. Paul, do you think any other manager games from the nineties kind of held up or do you think everyone else it was it was champs or no champs? It was no, it was champ manager or premier manager. They, yeah. they were they were your big ones. Again, there were there were other ones that that were in the rotation similarly. So there was like there'd have been a tactical manager and there was yeah. tracksuit manager prior prior to that. And when you were as a console owner, you, you'd try anything. You were desperate to get a management. And prior to premier manager coming out on the PS One, it was just you know I had an um, onside soccer manager for twenty four hours. Yeah. And it was the worst. I remember that. It was the worst. And I took it back and got FIFA 97. Uh, <laughs> and I basically had to give it to my mum and get her to, to play stupid. Like, she was so thick that she'd bought this game instead of FIFA 97 <laughs> for some reason. Um, but, yeah, no, Prem, Premier Manager was the, was the only other one, I think, that really stood out, you know, with its copy protection wheel and it's bringing Wickham up from the, from the conference and stuff. Sensational. Brilliant. Um, we're going to have to say goodbye to one of our guests because he's off to the Wolves game tonight. Um, Graham, before you go, is there any other games we haven't mentioned um, that you wanted to just say before uh, you leave and you're off to Molyneux? Who are you guys playing tonight? I don't even know. Bristol City. Ooh, OK. So any other games you, you want to mention? Um, I remember some of I, I remember the bad ones better than I remember the good ones. That's fine. Um, we're going, the bad going, ones. Going back to the, uh, to the Soccer Stars um selection boxes that you used to get for the Amiga when you get like three or four games in a box um, I once had uh, Manchester United Kings of Europe for the Amiga in that game and I think that was at a time when they were starting to get a bit more uh, a bit more global publicity just before the uh, the, the glory glory years started in the uh, in the early 90s yeah. and it was possibly the worst football game I've ever played in my life and uh, I've got a lot that can hold a candle to that but <laughs> It was um, kind of like the, the the people that had made the game had obviously made no effort to research Man United because you had like defenders called Lee Sharps and uh, there was only one goalkeeper and there was there was all sorts of errors. I think Steve Bruce was on there as a striker, and um, but it, it was just the gameplay itself. It was so slow. It would literally take you thirty seconds to actually pass the ball between two players. And if you, if you want to go and play one, Paul, and uh, put that on you uh, on uh, YouTube, I'll be interested <laughs> to see your thoughts on that one. It's weird because I remember I remember Man United in Europe as a game on the Amiga, and think again in nostalgia, thinking it was the, one of the greatest things we'd ever seen at the time because you had little replicas of the kits and you know and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, maybe 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 we'll we'll go back to that one and see if it holds up. Really? Well, thanks very much, Graham. We're going to carry on for a little bit longer, but cheers, Graham. We'll speak no to problem, you again man. soon. Speak soon. So I'm just going to do a few Twitter mentions um, from you guys today that we put on just some few games that you wanted to mention. Um, Liam Matthewman, who's been on with us before, said the original champ manager we spoke about. Mark Carruthers, Sensible World of Soccer and FIFA 98. Oh, the big guns are going out again. Uh, Ralph Welch, who's been on many times. Football Tactician 2 on the Amiga. Um, he says, Cole Eburn and Justin Flo up front for Sheffield Wednesday. Unstoppable. Some great memories there. Um, Colin, Sh- I'm sorry if I pronounced this wrong. Colin Schalfer said, Actual Soccer for Macintosh. One of the very few games to for the Mac at all. Uh, Ian Murray said Premier Manager 3. Uh, Jay Atkinson was an absolute beast. Mark Edworthy on loan every time. Uh, Dominic Hangley, who was on last week with us, said FIFA 96 and 97. And Viva Football, which is uh, another random one uh, from the late 90s. Uh, just a few more. James Layfield, Championship Manager. Uh, we had a couple from Richard Buxton. Uh, said again, FIFA 95. Um, one that always comes up, uh, Matthew Braithwaite on Facebook said to me the last time we were going to talk, it was called Three Lions. Um, which was kind of late into the 90s as well. A very square-looking players that was based around the, the England team, and I think it was towards 98, around that time. Um, but let's put it to the guys that we did just to Graham. Paul, is there any kind of games you haven't mentioned from the 90s that you wanted to give a shout-out to or recall some memories? Yeah, I mean, it was, it was touched upon earlier, but games like Striker, 
Yeah, I don't know. It was like it was lightning quick. It had that the, the, not quite the top top down view. It was a little it was a little flatter than that. Um, but that at the time again was it was joystick waggling heaven. Which sounds <laughs> sounds slightly filthy, but yeah, um, but <laughs> that should be a hashtag in its own right. Actually, yeah, absolutely. There was another one in terms of management games that's come back to me. And it's something that's definitely on my list to, to track down. It was a game called The Manager on the Amiga. I think it was called Bundesliga Manager in Europe, um, and it was it was it, it had a very similar sort of thing. It was a cross between Championship Manager and, and Premier, basically, and had little highlights and and what have you the matches. And it, there was a cheat where you could put load, get loads of money and all that stuff. Me, me, me because I'm pumped many an hour into that game. Mm, very good. Lee, how about you? What if what we haven't mentioned, or is there any sort of FIFA stories you wanted to add as well? What would you like to recall from the 90s? Well, there were two games that I remember particularly loving, and no one ever mentions them otherwise, so I must be wrong. But um, there was a game <laughs> called um, FA Premier League Stars, which yes. I think was the Premier League. That's EA game, wasn't it? It was, and it was the Premier League trying to go it alone in video game sense. And it was a bit like a precursor to FIFA Ultimate Team in that you collected stars or points and you spent them on stars. Um, and I just remember being really obsessed and playing it over a whole school summer holidays and going back to school the next year and none of my friends even heard of the game. Um, <laughs> so I don't know if that's been tried and tested since. But the other one was a management game, uh, Ultimate Soccer Manager, which was yeah. quite quaint yeah. in its, um, its overview, but I just really loved it. And also I should mention, sorry, David Beckham Soccer, uh, I don't know why I bought it. I don't know what I expected. <laughs> but it was one of the most quietest video games I've ever played and also one of the most self-indulgent. Um, so that was a waste of money. He wasn't alone, Bex. It's, it's just going on from that, there's a few here that I, I searched when I was doing the book about sort of player-endorsed games. So <laughs> Emily, Emily Hughes and Gail Inick had one just at the very end oh, yeah. of the 80s that were more kind of more into the 90s. Uh, there was Gaza um, and Gaza 2, of course. There was a sequel as well. John Barnes' European Football Challenge. Uh, Graham Souness' International Soccer. Uh, Graham Taylor's England manager can't believe they made that game that must have been a very awful game um, and then the decade ended of course with Michael Owen's World League Soccer 99 oh, of course yeah on the PlayStation uh, I think that was by Edios as yeah. well oh, we've had another tweet in about our uh, games and it's Joe our regular Joe Young says on Champ Manager 95 um, you played everyone through the middle you won every game especially if you bought Nick Barnby of course <laughs> coming from a Borough fan um, I'm just going to go through this list as I mentioned earlier on the podcast um, guys interrupt me if you kind of want to say anything about these guys, these games but these just more the plethora of games that were out in the nine football games in action soccer actual soccer Champions of Europe complete onside soccer Dino Dini Soccer, which was on the Mega Drive. European... I know Dini, carry on. Yeah, there you go. European <laughs> Soccer Challenge, Fever Pitch, Football Champ, Football Glory, Goal, Marco's Magic Football, as Lee mentioned at the top of the podcast, Mega Man Soccer, which is one that kind of completely escaped me, the Mega Man character um, from the Nintendo games, Olympic Soccer, Sega Worldwide Soccer 97, Soccer Mania, Super Match Soccer, Super Soccer Kid, Super Soccer, This Is Football, Total Football, Ultimate Soccer and World Soccer. And then lastly, one also mentioned Virtual Soccer, which was a brilliant arcade game in the 1990s as well. So you can just see, as we've mentioned, how many games. And I'm, I'm impressed how many different names that they came up with in the 90s <laughs> games. They all sound very similar, but they are very different. Any of those will ring a bell, Paul? Oh, God, yeah. I literally, we could have done the old sticker thing where you put it, go, got, 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 need. Yeah. Uh, because we, we, I think we've probably got about... One or two names, actually, that have, that have piqued my interest there. But, yeah, I think the Mega Man one in particular, we've got a lot of them sat on the shelf in the in the studio at the moment of the day. The, the Sega Worldwide ones are quite interesting because there's not a great deal of... Uh, for for uh, Sega Saturn and for the Dreamcast, there weren't a great deal of football games made for either of those. So Sega obviously made, made their own to kind of make the numbers up. Um, yeah. Well, we'll have to check out your channel. Um, just give it. So, where can we find it? It's on YouTube, isn't it? Yeah, youtube.com forward slash retro football TV. And it's uh, at retro footy with a Y TV on Twitter because I was too late to, to the party <laughs> <laughs> to complete the branding, which devastates me to this day. Brilliant. No, check that stuff out because it's, it's a great channel. And Lee, um, any of those did it sort of pick your ears up about those games we mentioned previously? Yeah, I'd sort of forgotten about Actua Soccer. Um, yeah. they, they were briefly a bright light, and I understand that they were they were due to beat FIFA to the uh, the World Cup rights in 1998, and then basically they cocked it up and let FIFA in, and then the rest is history. Actua Soccer, the company that made the game, went bankrupt a few years later, uh, and FIFA came on to be a giant. So, But I do remember playing that on a, a PC, I think, and it was just different to console gaming, and it was all right. It was quite good. It wasn't as good as FIFA, but... 
Yeah, that was the one that actually had the the, cam- the most bizarre camera angles in the history yeah. of football games ever. It kind of spins around <laughs> at, all, at all times. Again, we've actually done a, a four player version of Actual Soccer Twos on the channel at the minute, and it's hilarious for just how how difficult it is to get a shot off on that game. Brilliant. Well, make sure you check out the channel and Lee's book. Book, I imagine Amazon, all the usual places, Lee. Yes. Yeah. If you put Lee Price into Amazon, and something should come up, hopefully. <laughs> Brilliant. Check that guys out. Uh, thank you very much, Paul and Lee, and of course Graham as well, who was with us previously. Um, just a couple of shout-outs for us before we go. Um, a couple of podcasts actually that you should listen to. Um, they're not football related, but kind of um, nostalgic based. Firstly, from the Monday Night Carlo, we're actually going to be on it on the 14th of March. Again, I remind you next week. Um, pop culture, a bit of nostalgia, a bit. Of wrestling better football um, anything's going round and then there's also the going somewhere podcast which is produced and presented by our own producer gabe um, you can find it on itunes and it's also on twitter and facebook at going show so please do check that out because they have two great listens um, thank you again guys for tonight that's been a great look back at some brilliant 90s games do Kirk guys come on again mm. And uh, well, until then, uh, we'll be talking next week. We're gonna well, we'll, we'll let you know what the theme will be. So keep checking out Twitter to see what we'll be talking about next week. But until then, keep it nineties. This podcast is a West Twelve Media and Burble Media production.